moved away a lot. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. All right, folks. We got rid of those people on the radio. We are now in overtime, our online-only portion of the show, uh, where you can only... you're The only way that you're listening to my voice right now is either if you have found one of our pages on Facebook or YouTube or Twitch, or you're listening to the podcast, or <clears throat> you are listening to us on Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, which is a Huntsville-based internet radio station. They do 1970s FM underground radio style. It's eclectic local regional music with experimental sounds, noisy, and otherwise. Huntsville, Alabama arts, culture, and politics. They have audio theater and comedy. So uh, check it out. We are there on Thursdays and Fridays from nine, uh, beginning at 9. So the whole main show, 90 minutes of the main show, plays on Thursday from 9 to 10.30. And then on Friday, 60 minutes of overtime plays on Friday from 9 to 10. Right on. So uh, check it out. You can listen on Live 365. Go to Live 365 and search uh, Unclaimed Mysteries Radio if you want to find us there. Uh, Here in overtime, we're going to be playing an interview that Adam did with local criminal justice activist Angela Curry. Which seems very, very appropriate given... Uh, some of what we talked about today. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, uh, we didn't really necessarily plan that because uh, we didn't know the Madison County Sheriff's Department were going to kill someone this week. But uh, we have a, an interview with, to me, someone who is doing some of the best work around criminal justice issues in the Huntsville area. So, yeah, hope hope some folks will get something out of that, and especially those of you who are in the local area uh, can get plugged into the efforts. And those of you who are not, um, we'd love to kind of get y'all's perspective on kind of what you're seeing from afar and um, maybe some of the similar situations happening in your own community. Um, yeah. And there were a couple of things in the, the comments section um, that I wanted to make sure I touched on before you move on, Jacob. All right. Uh Infinite Content and uh, William both mentioned something about shoplifting, which is that, you know, they never really in the media talk about what drives people to shoplift, um, the types of people who are arrested for shoplifting. You know, they never really get into that, right? Um, I, I saw a lot in this sensationalized coverage about these supposed, like, shoplifting rings that were popping mm. up. but. You know, as to basically to imply that this is, you know, a sophisticated criminal operation that is happening. Uh, and perhaps some of those have been existing. But to Infinite Content's point, to William's point, uh, you also have a lot of just desperate poor people who are shoplifting because at that moment, that is the choice 
they feel they have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, yeah, I, I guess there's nothing too sensational there uh, that can be reported on uh, to sit down and talk with folks who are struggling to feed their families and, and feel like the, you know, the only way to make it through the day or make it to next week is to to lift a couple of things from Walmart or Walgreens. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I really appreciate y'all pointing that out, and I definitely agree with that. And you know, I don't want to, I don't want to portray myself as totally naive, as if you know, every person out there who shoplifts does so because they're desperate, right? They're not all like Aladdin characters right. and <laughs> um, just down on their luck and and stealing the last piece of bread <clears throat> available, yeah. right? But come on now. We're talking about folks trying to get a hold of baby formula, trying to get a hold of laundry detergent, um, and compared to millionaires right. who profited off of a deadly disease, right? A deadly epidemic of addiction that they helped facilitate. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's take a break, and we will get to the rest of overtime. We will be. Right back, don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Jacob Morris, and my co-host is Adam Keller, and we are now in overtime. Overtime is the second half of the program where we are online only, and previously on this half of the show was on no radio stations, but now we are on an internet radio station. Still no FCC censors there. Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, a local <coughs> Huntsville-based internet radio station uh so check it out on live 365 thursdays and fridays at 9 a.m central time uh we've got a really great conversation with angela curry coming up but i wanted to address a couple of comments that we got first uh before we do before we go to that um just to make sure that we got them also the phone number is eight uh eight four four eight nine nine tvlr it is 844-899-8857. You can always call in. Um, <clears throat> and so on Facebook, we got a comment from Sam Martin uh, saying, 90% of the media is liberal slanted, so the irony of two liberals complaining about the media mm-hmm. is great. And I'm like, I don't think that this guy has listened to us much, which is fine. You know, you don't have to yeah. listen to us every week. Um, um, but we've always had a media critique. And uh, and we don't see the media as like I don't know I don't I'm not I don't, we don't consume it as liberal good conservative bad and no more conversation after that right. we like look at what is said uh, and and, and uh, broader I themes just, I wanted to point out Strom took the words out of my mouth. Um, I don't, Jacob, you can identify however you want to identify. I personally am not a liberal. I uh, would take offense to being called one. I don't like that term. It's not me. Um, now, you know, if this if this guy uh, heard much of my politics, he might think I, I'm a liberal. Uh, but that's just because a lot of folks think liberal means anything from the left of Richard Nixon to Joseph Stalin right. and the whole spectrum in between. Um, you know, but no, I'm not a liberal. Uh, I would say that there is plenty of liberal media, just as there is right wing media. Um, 
in general, all of the media is a giant uh, profitable industry. Uh, which works to sell advertisements and distill ideology. So, um, not a huge fan of media, uh, any sort of corporate media, whether it be on the right or on the liberal side of things. Um, I cannot watch TV news without it raising my blood pressure, and that could be CNN, MSNBC, or Fox, any yeah. of the three. They drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, and I walk away feeling less informed, yeah. having heard them. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah. That's my um, takes on that. Um, yeah, and as far as the, you know, I would never self-identify as a liberal. Um, I think I feel more comfortable with a generic leftist as, you know, just like a. I think that's the the easiest thing to say, right. leftist. But, and, but also, I'm not. It doesn't. I don't know. It, it doesn't. I'm not too concerned about it because, like you said, when uh, if somebody is gonna call us like a liberal, they're generally the type of person that don't have a like a, a very sophisticated understanding of like politics, and that's you know that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly. everybody has to have a sophisticated understanding of politics. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Um, you know, I, I these <clears> terms <throat> mean a lot of different things, and uh, for this gentleman, probably doesn't really have a lot of background on terms of the distinction between left and liberal. Yeah. Um, because the truth is you're going to get more hate of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden from guys like us than you are probably from your Dale Jacksons and, and right-wing media in the mornings uh, on, on right-wing stations. Uh, it's just from a very different kind of perspective. And yeah. so there is a whole broad spectrum of politics out there that goes well beyond what Fox News and CNN talks about and uh, whether you like what we're putting down, hey, appreciate you checking it out. Yeah. Um, also, don't want to forget to say uh, appreciate the super chat from Strom some time ago, uh, speaking about you know how, basically how similar the Democrats and Republicans are, the Democans and the Republicrats. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's certainly a delineation, but there's also a lot of times where. Um, they make that delineation as hard to see as possible. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think there again, folks can can recognize where there's <clears throat> folks should be able to recognize if you have some sort of an analytical framework of the world, right? You should be able to see where they are the same and where they are different, and where that matters and where it doesn't matter, maybe. Um, so, yep. but yeah, definitely appreciate the support from Strom and and from everybody's uh, comments from their likes and shares today. Always very much appreciated. We uh, also got an email, uh, which which I appreciate, and it was a long email, and and you know, fellow presumably put some thought into this. Paul Ray uh, sent in an email to us, uh, and you can as well at tvlr.fm/contact. Um, he said, uh, "You said this morning <clears throat> that you just feel the government could better manage health care for all, as opposed to each individual union contract," and I would stand by that. And then you and your guests go on to lament how Medicare keeps getting worse. I did say that. And I also uh, said that individual union contract health care keeps getting worse. <laughs> for health care for everybody is getting worse, whether you're on Medicare or whether you're not. And so you ask, which is it? Uh, and I say it's both. Uh, Medicare is getting worse. Private health care is getting worse. And I think the government could better manage it as opposed to each individual union contract. Uh, the government can do better or they can't, and I think that they can, but it's also true that both the government and the private sector are 
doing worse as it relates to the past. And I believe that they can do better because in the past they used to do better. Yeah, and I wanted to to build off that because I think it's a it's a rational point that he's it is, making. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from on there. Uh, and I get that. Uh, and I think David's comment sort of spoke to that skepticism as well a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I get that. But pu- public schools is another great example of that. Our public schools have issues. Right. Um, and as much as I am an advocate for public education, I am probably more aware of some of those issues than the average person mm. uh, and am quite critical of public education systems and certainly its leadership. That said, I recognize that the public system for its flaws and warts is going to be and always will be superior to a privatized system, a privatized alternative, um, because at least ostensibly it is for the public, belonging to the public, and meant to serve the public, which I think to some degree gives us a better chance that that actually happens, right? Um, as opposed to it not even being part of the mission and part of the uh, foundation. So I get what I get the skepticism there. I think it would it's not as if, uh, you know, we if we achieve Medicare for all or a single payer system that, you know, suddenly the fight's over and we don't have anything Mm -hmm. to worry about anymore, because I think at that point it shifts to constantly holding everyone accountable uh, and constantly improving and tweaking the system. And you've seen this in. I mean, again, we're the outlier globally, right? Virtually every other well-off country on planet Earth uh, has some form of single-payer health system uh, mm-hmm. and some form of guaranteed health care. And they've had fights over the years. They're, the, the right-wingers in those countries constantly try to privatize it more. Right. Uh, the leftists in those countries tr- constantly try to beat back those concessions. And the neoliberals somewhere in between are always, you know in between, often uh, catering to the right. So that's happening in Canada and France and the UK and Australia, all over the world. Not a single one of them has ever gone backwards, though. Mm -hmm. You can't find a working class in any of these countries that would look at their system and and the American system and say, huh, yeah, let's go join, let's go follow what the Americans are doing. Um, so what what uh, Paul tries to do is uh, he he tries to get to what he considers the root of the problem, and he says it's the the insurance as an as an idea. Healthcare costs are too high because we've gone to a third party payer system that separates the provider from the consumer. Um, dot dot dot. When an insurance premium is paid, it's like an all you can eat buffet. People try to get as many services for their premium dollar as possible, causing an overuse of healthcare services by the consumer and the provider inflates prices. Um, and I just, I've heard this like on you know arguments against single payer, but I don't. Who I don't do you, know if you can extrapolate you, these like economics one hundred and one types concepts strictly to, to healthcare. Yeah, because who who's yeah. over consuming healthcare? What does that right. look like? What um, what does that look like? Who are you talking to? Because I because you presumably have an insurance premium. Are you like going and asking for extra heart surgeries? Because you know, like what what does that even look like? Who are these people that's getting extra healthcare? What does that mean? Is it real? My contention is no. Right. I mean and. That, I have I think never is distinct from the fraudulent overbilling, the right. warrant, the the like. We all know about doctors' offices and hospitals that are, uh, you know, making you 
pay for these crazy tests that you probably don't really need. That sort of thing, I I can recognize that. Um, but that's not on the consumer end. But, that's but on that's, like that's, that's the capitalist profit incentive on the co- right. part of the company. Yeah, yeah. It's just more evidence of the ways in which profit motive involved in our health system is is you know detrimental. Um, yeah. So to me, there should be no middleman. There, the health insurance industry has no right to exist. That's my opinion. I don't see. I, I, I just don't see why there needs to be someone, some some entity right. in between me and a healthcare provider. Um, it, it just doesn't doesn't make sense to me. Back and, to his email. Uh, problem with the Medicare for All system is that it has the same problems, only shifted to government bureaucracy, a, a recipe for higher costs and limited care. And actually, like, this is something that does frustrate me because you can actually just look and see, like, these... The, 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 there's an you know there's a question there. What's more bloated? Do, what, you know, yeah, Edna insurance or Medicare? Come right. on now, like, like you can be real about. You what? can just look that Medicare has two percent administrative costs. All these other companies have ten to twenty percent administrative costs. So what's actually the higher costs? It's it's not Medicare. And also, is it a recipe for higher costs? Well, actually, why don't let's uh, look at other countries who have similar things like Canada, like the UK, and you can actually see that they spend less on their health care. While getting better while getting <laughs> yeah, better, better outcomes. Better outcomes um, and more people are covered. Turns out when you don't spend billions of dollars on TV commercials mm. and uh, CEO pay and all the other waste that is in our current system, that's more money available to, I don't know, treat sick people. Yes. Put cast on broken legs. Give cancer patients the treatment that they need. That's what the priority should be. Um, you know, the thing is uh, with uh, the unions, this came up a little bit in our conversation earlier, and I wanted to, to piggyback off a comment William made in the chat about there is a little, there is some element of opposition among some union, unions to single payer because either they currently have good health care in their contract and they fear it getting worse or they feel mm-hmm. they don't need it or, or and the, what William pointed out is some people will say, well, if health care is taken care of by the government, then, you know, what's the union going to do? Right. Why, why belong like, to the union? Well, you could well, do there's, a lot of other stuff. <laughs> in fact, I would argue... You could do more. I would argue this would be one of the best things to ever happen mm-hmm. to labor unions in, in the United States if we got a single-payer health care because so much time and energy and resources is eaten up fighting over the scraps of health care. Right. And if that was taken care of for all folks and we all had a good foundation, regardless of where we worked or whether we worked at all, mm-hmm. I think that would just be such a game-changer the unions could could focus on pay, mm. retirement, working conditions, Think management about, rights, yeah, the and, other issues that are often getting left behind because healthcare is such a leverage mm-hmm. point that the employer has over us. How many people are stuck in bad jobs that they don't want to be at because they need the healthcare? Right. How many people are stuck in crappy marriages? How many people vote no on a strike? Because they know that their health care will get cut off. Right. There are people who cannot, literally cannot go without health care mm-hmm. or they will die pretty quickly. Right. And, yep. and I'm not in that situation. I, I feel blessed that I'm not in that situation. Uh, but there are people who are. And 
we should take that leverage away from the employer. If we really believe that we have a life to liberty and life and pursuit of happiness, like if we really believe that, that entails being able to go to the doctor. Yeah, you would think. The last thing think. the last thing that he says is um, the root of the problem is quite simple. You want somebody else to pay for your health care. With that attitude and approach, we'll always have higher prices. And if you shift to the government, you'll get rationed health care. Um, we and, already and are rationed exactly. health care according to your ability to pay. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like there's there is, you know. And hell, there, even if you have insurance, you still may be, right. you know, dealing with all kinds of complications yeah. to just actually get the care you're supposed to get. I have put off going to the hospital because I didn't want to pay the deductible, right? And, I, and I'm in a position where I could pay the deductible. I was just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stingy. And fortunately, right. I, like Adam, my health conditions are not so bad that generally I'm a pretty healthy person. You know, you've got that, you know, invincibility complex as a young person. But, you know, the I but, but. If anything, uh, health services are being under-consumed in this country because right. there are tens of millions of people who are skipping medications, who are skipping doctor's appointments, who are not going to the hospital or doctor when they probably should mm-hmm. for that very reason because they can't afford it. Yeah. You're always, because of the fact that there's not infinite resources, to a certain extent, you know, to a, to, to a large extent, I think that it's really just a... Do we have the political will to do the thing? And I and I think that you know if we had the political will, everybody could get all the health care that they needed. And I don't think that there necessarily need to be any or much at all rationing. But generally speaking, you're going to have some amount of rationing in any context, and that includes health care. And the question is, how are you going to ration it? In America, we have rationed it by ability to pay, and in other countries, in the UK and Canada, they have rationed it by need of care. And I think that makes more sense. It makes more sense to ration care by need than by uh, whether you are wealthy or not. Because I don't, you know, I just don't think that makes sense. I don't think it makes sense to say that this person is wealthy so they deserve care over this other person who can't afford it. I don't think that makes sense. Uh, We do have infinite content on the line. Yeah. If if you will give me just a sec, I will (laughs) make sure I can get you on the line. Um, I do appreciate your patience, infinite content. And also, uh, while you're pulling that up, I wanted to say appreciate the $5 super chat. Merry New Year. Just wanted to congratulate you all on getting over 2,500 subs. Let's go for 10K in 2023. Uh, That would be great. That would be great to get to 10K in 2023. Um, And we've got some, we're not going to unveil it right now but we have some we have some ideas about ways to expand the show and make it cooler uh william appreciate the vote of confidence this youtube channel has the potential to be one of the top shows on the internet there's a huge need for working people's issues through a union's perspective um appreciate it we hope that we're able to fill some of that gap um and we want to expand our partnerships with folks who are also doing similar work and i think that's an area you know, that we preach about in terms of, of politics and organizing, but it's something we also want to do ourselves in our own media work and and build those coalitions. So those of you who, and some of y'all have been very helpful in recommending, you know, other shows or programs that you listen to that might be relevant to us. And um, yeah, keep that coming. And definitely if there's any, any programs that you're a fan of that you think we need to hook up with, let us know or, or reach out to them and say, hey, you should have Jacob and Adam come on and talk about Alabama Union shit. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, we, we'd love that for sure. For sure. Uh, so we'll see if this works, but I do believe... 
I should have uh, infinite comment coming on the air if I can get OBS to cooperate with me here. Hello, can you all hear me? I can hear you. Can oh, you hear him, Adam? Happy New Year to you, Adam and Jacob. Thanks. Glad happy New Year to you. Caller in for the year. Yeah, first caller of the year. Oh, awesome. There we go. Now, I just want to get into this email this guy Paul sent in. Is he a shill for um, big health care or something? Because uh, like, I mean, you know, one of the stations that... talking nothing but um, <laughs> talking points from the uh, health care lobby. Yeah, well, you know, one of the stations that we're on, which is which is why we, we actually started on this station, is a conservative radio station, right? And so, you know, he's probably a conservative guy who... Probably you know, heard us on the FM feed. Probably yeah. heard us on the... Because it came in during the mm -hmm. FM show, and so he probably heard us there, and he, you know, um, and he's heard a lot, a lot of bad things about government and all this, so, you know... Probably it's something like, like if that. you, I mean, literally, if healthcare was not an issue, it would literally um, alleviate like so many issues in this country. Like, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. people would be able to go ahead and move. Uh, they'd be able to go check out other uh, career fields, all types of things. If uh, healthcare was not an issue, and unions, they could definitely go ahead and say, "Oh, since we don't have to pay for that healthcare." Run it, we're going to need to run your pockets. Uh, they could make the uh, uh, those companies uh, pay more mm -hmm. because the main issue with uh, companies and unions is these companies they continuously take care of their shareholders but forget about the most important stakeholders in the companies, the employees. Right. Because without the employees, as you all like to say, all wealth comes from labor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but Medicare for All, literally, University of Massachusetts, Amherst, I believe, put out a study back in 2018 that showed that if Medicare for All was enacted, just by saving on administrative costs, it would uh, put about $3.5 trillion back into the economy over a 10-year span. Mm. And it just makes sense, right? That, that, like right. It, it makes sense. That if you have a single payer system for everybody, as opposed to, uh, you know, dozens of various entities sort of hanging out as middlemen, that there's going to be less overhead, right? Less bureaucracy. And I'm sorry if and that means the government hires, you know, some more people at fifty thousand dollars a year or whatever to answer people's phone calls. Right. Or okay, big deal. They that's nothing compared to the amount of graft and and fraud and waste that is happening in the profitable uh, private sector of insurance and, and health care. It's just, yeah. Now, Trump picked up a, put a, had a good point in the um, chat about uh, rural hospital closures. There's also been a lot of urban hospital closures. There needs to be an act where we, uh, I mean, that is almost like an infrastructure thing where we could go ahead and uh, build and maintain these hospitals since they're not going to be up uh, since the states don't want to do it um, let them be federally funded um, and that way we can people don't have to drive 200-300 miles to get um, a procedure done or if there's an accident or something like that that is something I've been thinking about for a while because I saw a, ma a few major hospitals close to Philadelphia over the past few years and it really came to a head during the COVID crisis because 
there were just not enough beds. And one of the hospitals closed because he, the owner wanted to try and overcharge. Um, like he, Actually, he wanted to close the hospital so he could uh, take the property and turn it into, um, into like, condos. Wow. Hmm. Well, oh, trust me. Uh, I, I was I, – I literally wanted to tell uh, Governor Wolf, seize his property by intermittent domain and uh, make that into a hospital, uh, state-owned. Because he, like, uh, ooh, uh, oh, Nina, Bernie Sanders and Nina Turner were um, in Philadelphia trying to protest to stop the closing of that hospital. But, uh, like, that really grinded my gears, the, the utter greed right. and mm-hmm. average that this guy hope I mean, that they're um, – but I did uh, try and suggest that you all uh, be brought on to uh, possibly a couple shows this week when I was uh, chatting on some other shows like uh, Burn Down with Kim Brown and I was talking with, uh, I believe it was somebody, um, uh, not mine as such, but it was another show. But I think that you, Sam should bring you all on the majority report one of these days if you all have your schedules aligned so. I call into the majority down. report every now and then, and I actually called in and talked about the paper mill last week. No, no, he should bring you all on as guests, not just that you call in. Um, yeah, that, that that would be great. You no, know, that, that there, you know what it is? It's, that's because it's um, Hollywood elite Sam Cedar big time <laughs> you all uh, from right. the channel. <laughs> right, right. Sure. Hey, I appreciate I, I Sam being willing to uh, make an appearance on our little program. That was pretty cool of him to do. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I don't. Did you see that when he came on our program? Yeah, a while back? that's always Sam was on the program. That's how yeah. I got brought to your program. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, I saw Sam came on because Sam, most of the time Sam's not going to uh, go on some program for no good reason yeah. unless he's trying to uh, sneak attack Stephen Crowder, which I don't know if you all ever saw with Sam stuff on uh, Stephen Crowder's program uh, through yeah. uh, HE's channel. It was hilarious. They've uh, actually Steve advertised Crowder, on the show the before the Majority Report. Attack. Yeah, the majority report. We're very thankful for the support they've given us, and um, yeah, hoping hoping some other folks kind of get on board with us this year, and we can keep growing and and doing more because um, we'd like to do more stuff than than what we're currently doing. Really, not just not just with the radio and, show, uh, but more content overall. You know. And um, by the way, on the uh, police shooting, if I wanted to, I could literally make a. Pl- Podcast, uh, one hour podcast every week, um, called Cops Inc. I mean, we're not daily called Cops Inc. Shit, and just mm-hmm. uh, go through the effery and malfeasance of cops around this country. It's that much content, and I would still not have enough time just to go through it one hour every day, uh, five days a week because. Yeah, you're you're exactly uh, right. I mean, and the real news network. Uh, yeah, I they do a thing for, actually like that. They kind of have. Yeah, they kind of have something like that. And you're right. I mean, there's unfortunately there's so much there that you never run out of content. Um, yeah. And that's that's just a, a sad reflection of our society. Yeah. It's uh, Trump saying he's going to try to get this revolution to bite you want. Actually, my main issue right now on Saturday mornings is that. You all come on 10.30 Eastern, um, and this is Revolution, comes on at noon. So right when mm. you all are going to overtime, the conversation starts getting good. I'm like, uh, uh, do, do I go to this is Revolution or do I stay on um, TV 
TVLR, I'm like, and I, it's no way to double stream at the same time. So I'm like, uh, we should, I, I get we caught should up do in a, the air. I'm, we should get on do? their show. Or they, yeah, yeah, are, we could just write. By, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, just we, jump on their stream or something. Yeah, there, there could be a way to do something like that. Or maybe like you all could do a cool. stream because uh, This is Revolution does uh, do cross streams. Yeah, so yeah. That look at that. They are live right now with Jason Muller. I thought with Jason and um, Pascal and see um, how apt they are to uh, bring it on. Because they talk about uh, Marxism and 50-year um, counter-revolution, counter and uh, the, you all would uh, very much— uh, Oh, yeah. Really, I've, I've, uh, I've heard I've heard them, you know, like you said, on the Majority Report before, and I, I quite like Pascal Robert. And, oh, uh, and... Pascal breaking down the history of Haiti was mm-hmm. just amazing. Yeah, that was a great one. So, all right. Well, hey, let, let me let you all go. I'm gonna make a run, um, and I'll chat with you all in a few weeks. All right. All right, so man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. All right, bye. And let's go ahead and play. Uh, we're gonna play that interview that we recorded, or that Adam recorded a couple weeks ago with. Yeah, recorded Angela over the Christmas Curry. break. Uh, we weren't really sure timing wise, you know, when I could get with Angela, so went ahead and did that. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Angela Curry is involved with Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform here in Huntsville, as well as United Women of Color. Uh, and between the two, they are doing a lot of really good work, uh, especially around criminal justice issues in Huntsville and the greater Huntsville area. So I hope that you will find something uh, valuable in this interview. I really enjoyed talking with Angela. Let me pull up our notes here. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show, where we're happy to provide news and analysis and commentary by and for Southern working class folks. I'm really interested in our interview we have today with Miss Angela Curry. I'm looking forward to talking with her. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here and honored that you want to listen to what I have to say. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, well, we appreciate the work you're doing in the community. And uh, one of the things we do on this show besides Talk Union is we want to highlight folks who are uh, doing good community work outside of unions and how we can bridge those gaps and, and work together, pull in the same direction. So you're doing a lot of great work. And I wanted to first give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what got you involved in, in the community? What got you involved in organizing and activism? So I am Angela Curry and I am a uh... By now, I say I'm a Huntsville native, so I've been in Huntsville uh, for since 1990. I came up here to go to Alabama A&M. Um, I was on the women. <laughs> yeah, I was on the women's track and field team um, as a walk-on. That's what got me to Alabama was the women's track team. I saw them in high school. And they were phenomenal. So I applied to the school. I got in. And then I ended up graduating 10 years later from UAH with an entire family. So, uh, but I was I'm a, I was born in Syracuse, New York. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, and now I'm here in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, being a parent is what got me to be active. Uh, a PT, I was an active PTA member, had some issues in my child's middle school, uh, we had a good PTA new members, and we 
advocated. So we began advocating from a school board level. And then my uh, my political science degree helped to, if you could say, radicalize me, but actually wake me up to my civic duty and my civic responsibility in my community. And it's just kind of expanded from there. I did a homeless count while I was in uh, school at UAH in my political science, uh, obtaining my major. And, and gradually things just continue to expand. Um, I've been taught to speak up if you see something that's not right. Uh, my dad taught me that when I was a kid and it, it's just been compounding and, and exponentially growing ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I've just kind of, through my involvement in Huntsville politics, I've seen your your journey a little bit and um, you've, you've been involved. Most anything that's going on, like you probably, if you weren't there, you knew somebody who was there. Uh, right. And so, yes. <laughs> you know, it's uh, one thing I can say is there are a lot more folks like us now than there used to be, you know, right. maybe 10 years ago. Um, there is a, a, a growing progressive scene in, in this community. Uh, and, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit for that as well. Um, so tell us, a, tell us a little bit about the there's two organizations that I, I really associate you with um, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform. And we've had some of your members on to actually talk to us about uh, Huntsville police misconduct and then also United Women of Color. So two different organizations. Could you tell us what they're about and, and what y'all do? And actually, I, I have to let the cat out of the bag. Uh, but And I think we've slowly been doing this over the last year or so. Um, United Women of Color, uh, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform is literally a program within United Women of Color. Okay, thank you so for making that decision. Yeah, it's, but we intentionally, out of, out of, but in good faith, did not bring the component of United Women of Color when we launched the Citizens Coalition, because we did not want people to be hung up about race or women or we 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 wanted people who genuinely had a focus on criminal justice reform to come into one space so that we could build power to advocate uh, for our rights and so in the rights of our neighbors. So during the George Floyd world uprisings, I was not, my mind space was not in a place. I had so much anger. I was not in a place to just go out and protest. So I thought, how can I channel this, this anger, this rage in a productive way? And I spoke to my board about wanting to have a coalition where we literally focus on local police reform. Um, the federal government was not really responding. And I thought we know people in our local community who we can talk to, who we can touch, who we see, and we can appeal to them to have changes made in our community and be a model for other communities on how to how it, the transformation took place. So the board was, they agreed um, that this was something to speak out about. This was something additional that United Women of Color should take on. We felt like women in, in Children um, are directly impacted by poli in police violence. And so we, there was several community members who worked with me to form the coalition, to come up with the list of 10 requests, to um, be at the press conference, to see that it was like a collaborative community effort. 
we invited the city leaders, we invited the chief of police, we invited Huntsville Police Department um, to be at the press conference. And we kind of just went from there. Uh, something that we didn't anticipate, like the people from the protest, the, the police response to the protest caused there to be a large audience that wanted to become involved with the, the reform. And so that just happened to be a perfect storm, mm -hmm. I guess you could say. And so we, we immediately had about 1400 people respond when we launched our, the group that we had on social media, we were picked up for an interview. So that helped. And then people wanted to come in and express themselves at city council. So we kind of talked to the, we were a point of contact for those individuals because they saw a place they could go right. to speak about those issues. And we just kind of have organically grown from there. Yeah. And I, th I think y'all helped to, um, like you said, channel, uh, there's been a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, disgust, a lot of sadness around the conduct of Huntsville police. And, and as you mentioned, specifically with you had folks peacefully protesting police brutality met with police brutality. Like, you right. know, that's it's so over the top um, that, yeah, it's un I, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Y'all's inbox was overflowing uh, in the days following that. Uh, and, and I appreciate that y'all gave folks a, a way to channel um, righteous outrage into political action uh, and, and have folks speaking at city council meetings and, and working on policies. So uh, could you tell us? So I'm glad you cleared that up, though, about the, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about United Women of Color? What What is that organization and, and what do y'all do? So just like to sum it up in one sentence, it's literally Angela walking out her passion in the earth in an organized fashion. <laughs> um, but we are a nonprofit. We're multi-ethnic. Uh, we're multi-generational. We're intergenerational. We um, focus on improving the lives of women, girls, and their families. And we do that through advocacy, civic engagement, and educational empowerment. So why people, why do we focus on women and girls? Because women and girls um, in our county are the majority of the population. I, I am a woman and I have girls. Like So that's just our target. Um, and also women and girls, uh, women-led families uh, have the highest, minor, uh, highest demographic of poverty. And then in our county, as prosperous as Madison County is, we have had an increase of childhood poverty from the last United Way assessment um, to the most recent United Way assessment. Mm -hmm. I think it went from 19% of children living in poverty to 24%. So those were the reasons that we focused on women and girls. And we say, and their family, so we're not excluding anyone, um, but our primary focus is women and girls, because we feel like that affects three generations. If we get mom who's head of the household, you know, empowered and, and advocating for her and her issues, and then that imparts to her children. And then when her children have children, they will live um, an empowered life, thriving versus surviving. So yeah. we have a whole a method all the way down. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. And we chose advocacy and, um, civic engagement, which is really advocacy as well, because those were areas where we saw a need in our community. The, the civic engagement is not 
We have high levels of apathy in our community as it relates to civic engagement, and we wanted to do something about that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And I mean, that's something we've talked about on the show recently. And uh, you and I have probably talked about before, you know, the low political engagement in Alabama. And, um, you know, to be frank, I think the folks in charge in Alabama probably like to keep it that way. Um, And so I I really respect organizations such as yourself who are getting out there in the community and talking to working class people and trying to bring them into the political process, uh, because the more of us speaking up, the louder our voice is. We are the power base. We just do not recognize that we are the power base. And so we need to just, we're doing our part to help enlighten everyone about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about, empowering people to see the power they already have. Um, So, yeah, this would be a good segue to just talk to us about, are there any current projects that either the coalition or United Women of Color have going on right now or, you know, any recent developments that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I'll just share for United Women of Color. Um, we have a Grow with Google. We have a partnership with Grow with Google where we have 100 online uh, IT career certifications. So we have 100 scholarships for that. Uh, those online courses is free. The courses are through Coursera. Um, and so we are excited about offering that to the community at large. And uh, to help people increase their economic their economic uh, situations, we as far as the Citizens Coalition, you know, when we started out, we were very front facing. People saw us at City Council. I think we went two years uh, straight, almost to every City Council meeting. There was a Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform presence, um, to the point that you know City Council has re- has moved public comments to the end of the city council meetings mm. unless you're speaking on an agenda item so that, that was sounds like a, something uh, the huntsville school board did to me uh, ex- uh, years yes, ago yes, I, yes. So, I know how so that the, goes <laughs> the response to citizens becoming more civically engaged was for our leadership to try to suppress it um we've have learned so this is some of the updates that the citizens coalition have been doing we are working on our phase two of our public direct action. So this year has been a more quiet year of building alliances, um, developing strategy, uh, following up via email. We've done uh, three or four email direct email campaigns this year in response to community uh, outcries about certain situations. We receive responses on those. We have met with the mayor and the city council president several times this year. Um, so we have literally, we received a Ben and Jerry's grant. I don't know if you know, we were awarded uh, the Ben and Jerry's uh, social justice grant. So oh, that's awesome. $20,000 grant. Um, part of what we proposed was we need an app to report police encounters almost like Yelp, like whether it was good or bad, like we need data because when we submitted our 10 requests, we had an initial list of 10 mild requests uh, for our city, for our government to be more transparent and have for the city residents to have more access to data online. Uh, We opened up a can of worms and we found out a lot more than what we had initially even thought. 
And so one of the things that we re recognized at the forefront was that our city was not very transparent with sharing data. Our Huntsville Police Department, the Madison County Sheriff's Department is even worse. It is hard to find data about incidents. They have an annual report, it's incomplete. We've also realized that it's inaccurate. So we've mm. been doing behind the scenes, back and forth communication with our city leadership regarding that information. I don't know if you know that the city of Huntsville won the Padlock Award from the National Investigative Reporters Group, which means that they have voted across the nation that the city of Huntsville, their police department, is not transparent at all. So they literally have a padlock on their information. So that was very affirming to us because we have been saying something similar, but in a nicer way for a while. It's so nice when uh, when outside folks can kind of get a taste of what we're dealing with and can, you know, not that, not that you need that verification, but it, it, it feels nice when someone, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. from the outside sees what we're seeing. Correct. So we, um, with Ben and Jerry's, we proposed to work on a third party app to get independent information from actual residents, community members. Uh, we researched a variety of, of apps that are already across the country. We're currently in the beginning stages of communication with the ACLU because they have a mobile justice app. Um, so we're in co communication with ACLU of Alabama to see if we could potentially do information share. If we report, uh, promote their app in our area. But we're also working with another national group who is also working to develop an app uh, because of the six that we found that were still active. Most of them only did video and we want actual written reports because there's a disparity between the number of complaints that people have versus the number that are filed with the police department. Mm. So that's, we did a community survey this year and one of the, several of the questions alluded to that, asked about the app. Have you had an issue with HPD or any law enforcement in the area? Did you feel like it was, you know, according to policy, did you report? Most of the people said, yes, they had incidences, Yes, they would have reported if they had an app, but they did not report um, to date. And so we want to explore that. We want to pull that data because looking at data, data can lie, but it doesn't lie. Like the truth is in data. Mm -hmm. And so if we had that information. We could look at trends and things of that nature. Uh, so that's one of the things we're working on. The biggest, um, there was a group in South Alabama that has reached out to us based on the work we've been doing. So we're gonna be working with them. So again, we've been building alliances, um, sharing information. The Council of State Government Justice Center, we, uh, CCJR, United Women of Color, has been accepted as one of their groups across the country. So we're learning about transparency, uh, methodologies, and public access to data. They're helping us with uh, developing reports and making requests. Uh, we have a pro bono attorneys group that's a national group that have accepted uh, the work of the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform to where they can assist us with potential class action lawsuits, advisements, uh, requests for public requests for information, open records requests. So we've we've been um, 
doing a lot of work behind the scenes so that uh, we're building the infrastructure. We also plan to have a fellowship for the Citizens Coalition next year. Uh, we're currently seeking a coordinator to start out part-time as a salaried person and move to a full-time position because the work for the Citizens Coalition has expanded in such a positive way. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's a great problem to have when you have so many different, you know, irons in the fire. You need you need help and, and have to invest in help like that. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of really interesting updates there. And uh, I think y'all are really onto something with this app to report misconduct, um, because I think you have the ease of reporting and then the trust in the reporting. Right. And this would this would address both of those two primary barriers. Uh, so I think that's just fantastic. And I'm really glad to hear y'all are getting some some grants, getting some institutional support. Um, that's one of the hardest things in, in doing any kind of social justice type work is, you know, getting some money to do it. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard work. It takes a lot of time. Um, and there's only so much uh, volunteers can do, uh, you know, ultimately to build yeah, something consistent. True, because the Ben and Jerry's helped to fund the, the community service survey. We, we gave away incentivized people with gift cards, um, giveaways, but it also is going to um, fund that coordinator uh, position. So that's really important. Uh, we have we just have turned in our report with them and it's potential that they will continue to fund us um, if they see that we're being productive. Uh, we will have a, a, a community meeting in January where we're going to share the results of the community surveys and we're going to highlight um, the work that we've done the, over the course of the year and where we're going for uh, 2023. And that's going to be the third week of January. We will have the uh, Alabama Forward, some of the plaintiffs from the Merrill versus Mulligan case about the redistricting that's in the, currently in the Supreme Court will be joining us. Uh, it's going to be a family-friendly event, so we're going to have activities for the kids so people can bring their children. The children will have activities to do, and we can meet with the adults. Oh, I think that's so fantastic. And yeah, the child care thing, uh, as a father who is uh, torn between all these different meetings to go to on any given night, you know, that's right. it, it is tough. And I, uh, I, something I, I think uh, a lot of unions struggle with, too, is making sure that the meetings themselves are accessible to folks in, in whatever barriers they may have. So I think that's that's fantastic. Um we're going to add that to our little list of plugs. Uh, you know, we're going to make sure we promote that as well, because I think that'd be a great opportunity for folks in the community uh, to get to know each other a little better and get to know this information better about what is the community already saying about the state of our criminal justice system? Right. And then what what can we do now moving forward in the year and years ahead? So I think that right. is that is fantastic. Um, we're. Were there any uh, specific plugs or our websites, social media channels? Any, where should folks, you know, follow y'all and, and stay plugged into what's going on? So because we do a lot, we have multiple pages. So on Facebook, United Women of Color Huntsville. Um, then there's also the CCJR is a page. 
We have a private Facebook group, uh, the Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform. We do actually screen people before we approve them. Um, and we talk a little more um, openly in that private group. Um, but we're also on Instagram with the same uh, on Instagram where you woke underscore AL and we're CCJR underscore AL. Uh, we have websites for both. So CCJR.org or AL.org and we have United WOC.org. But you can find uh CCJR from the United Women of Colors page because it's listed as one of our programs. And then we will be doing a digital revamp. 2023 is going to be very interesting for us. We're going to be a lot more active digitally and more direct. So you, you now is a great time to join either of those places. And if you want to get our monthly newsletters, you can sign up on the United Women of Color website. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend folks, especially those of you who are in Huntsville proper, uh, definitely get plugged in with them so you can just stay informed on what's going on and know about these opportunities uh, to get involved. And um, I just wanted to close by, by saying real quick that, you know, working class people are disproportionately the ones dealing with a broken justice system and racial and ethnic minorities are disproportionately working class. Uh, I say a lot on the show that, you know, the working class is the most diverse class. So if there's someone listening who's wondering, you know, like, why are the union guys talking about this? Um, Why is Angela on the show? Uh, You know, when we're normally talking union, that's why. Um, Because this is an issue that affects so many of our brothers and sisters in the community. The burden of... you know, the burden, the burden of a dysfunctional judicial system, the burden of the fines and fees, the burden of police misconduct, the burden of mass incarceration and the drug war. These burdens fall primarily on working class people. And I believe we as union members have a responsibility to educate ourselves on the political issues that affect our lives and the lives of our neighbors. And I would argue that includes a responsibility to advocate for a more just legal system. You know, we talk a lot on the show about how labor law is broken in this country and it is stacked against working people and against unions. Uh, But criminal law is much the same way. It is stacked against everyday people. Um, And it's it's really it's going to be up to us working in coalition with other folks. Uh, to help transform our communities and transform this justice system. So uh, I just want to put that out there, you know, as we we wrapped up today uh, as to why I think it was important to have you on the show. Um, And and I I think the work that you're doing is very important. Thank you. And I I agree with you 100 percent. I don't think we because we're a lot of working class and a lot of us are so enthralled in our day to day issues and living that we don't understand how so much of this intersects. So I appreciate you uh, having me on and and understanding that intersectionality. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Angela, was there anything else uh, you needed to say? Uh, No, next year, I know that we have been invited to, CCJR has been invited to meet with the Huntsville Police Citizen Advisory Council. So we are taking them up on their invitation until we are no longer invited. But we do plan to have meetings um, with them, specific meetings. And so we really just invite 
our neighbors, our community to become a part um, because we are doing this for us all, but we can only do it well with you all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. There's strength in numbers and uh, folks definitely really encourage y'all to get plugged in and uh, participate in this dialogue. And Angela, hopefully you or, or some of your uh, members can come back on the show in 2023 to tell us how some of these meetings go, because uh, I'm sure that'll be interesting. That will be great. Thank you so much for having me on again. Absolutely. Well, thanks, y'all. Solidarity, everyone. All right. Sorry about that, Jacob. You were you were muted. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was I was just saying thanks for doing that. That was that was great. That was a great interview. Good stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, always really enjoyed highlight highlight local folks doing stuff. Yeah, really enjoyed chatting with Angela. Happy to hear they're getting some grants, getting some some money to do some of the good work they're doing. Um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the cool things about uh, this show is that we have opportunities from time to time to highlight folks who are doing good organizing work in the community um, and, you know, connecting that to the broader labor movement. I think mm -hmm. that's one of the coolest things that um, is happening right now and should be happening right now is, is that coalition between the social movements and the labor movement. And the more we can play a role in that, the better. Uh, so, yeah, I loved, loved yeah. getting a chance to chat with Angela and highly recommend those of you who are local getting plugged in with those organizations. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of labor intersecting with other parts of our lives, um, and, which is a really easy thing to do because labor is, you know, virtually every person is a working person. And so, therefore, you know, the cause of labor is, is in some way related to them and their issues as well. Uh, but last week we had a – people were hit in the face with safety issues on the job and workers' abilities – workers' ability to stand up to it. And I'm talking about DeMar Hamlin with the NFL. He was hit and just collapsed with, uh, with a heart attack and uh, nearly died in, on live TV. And it was not the NFL, the bosses, the good graces of the capitalists that said, you know, we're going to cancel this game. And because somebody almost died or could have potentially at that time, there was, you know, all the reason in the world to believe that DeMar Hamlin could have died at, later on in the night. You know, so we could have just watched somebody die, but we're going to keep playing the game. That's what the NFL wanted to do. And yet it was, but it was the players union. It was the NFL Players Association that actually stopped the game from happening, stopped the game from continuing. And there is just not enough understanding of that in the popular consciousness that it was not the bosses that stopped this game. It was not the owners. It was not the league. It was the players. And it was their union that said, no. We as workers have experienced a traumatic event and we are we are going to the hospital with him. We're not playing this game anymore. Um, and that is not because they were able to do that, not because, you know, football players are, are you know, of course, football players are unique, but they were able to do that because they were organized, not, you know, not because of their uniqueness, but because of their organizedness. Because 
seeing somebody on the job die or almost die or have a heart attack on the job, that's not something that that no one else goes through. In fact, there was uh, whenever this uh, whenever this happened, there was a um, there was this huge thread of people set like explaining similar things that happened to them. Uh, Joshua P. Hill on Twitter compiled a thread of all of this stuff of people replying with similar things happening to them, and one. A co-worker had chest pains. One of the front office ladies stood by the front door of our huge building so the EMS could be let in immediately. Afterward, her boss said, no one asked you to do that, so that 20 minutes was your lunch break. Oh, my God. Another one, my my lead got hit in a drive-by about 10 years ago, and around three-quarters of the crew left, and the manager asked the remainder of us if we could still hit our goals for the day. I work in the restaurant industry, and just a couple weeks ago, during lunch service, we had a guest fall with a do not resuscitate bracelet on. The dining area was completely full, and my staff never stopped work while maintaining the attention of the guest eating. The guest passed away. Mm. Good lord. That happened at a place I worked at. I performed the CPR. I was given 20 minutes to collect myself and then had to get back on the line to cook. I work for USPS, and when one of my coworkers died at the office while on duty last year, they closed for only an hour and opened the store right back up. It was appalling. And so, you know, this happens, and the only way to stop it from happening is to be organized like these NFL players are. Uh, Because uh, it was the NFL Players Union that told the league, we're not working anymore. We're not, that's labor. The game is labor. We're not working anymore uh, because of this. Um, and, and it's just such a, you know, Adam, you said that you were actually watching it live as it happened. Yeah, yeah, it just so happened. I flipped on the game Monday night and um, was watching, you know, I, I'm not like such a huge football fan that I'm glued to every Monday night football either. So, you know, it was kind of unusual that I just happened to be glued to it this this particular game um saw it happen and didn't look unusual it looked like an ordinary tackle um and I can't even remember if I could clearly see live the collapse but it was pretty shortly after that you could see from the way the other players on the field were reacting Mm -hmm. how serious it was and and I tell you, just I, I, my heart sank. I got a, a real sick feeling in my stomach because I thought I was watching a man die on TV. Yeah, um, it, it was hard to turn away, and it was it was it was had me shook. And I was just watching from my couch in Alabama. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine uh, that being your friend, that somebody being, that you work with every single yeah, day, practice and, with, sweat with, and, and you know, you started to see. Uh, the cameras panning to the players and you saw players with tears in their eyes, players crying, players on their knees praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was scary. It was scary. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my daughter even walked in and, and was scared at what was happening. And, um, you know, we talked about it and uh, it just, God, it was, it was a sickening, just sickening. And to, to think that they were going to go out and just, try to play a game after that. Uh, you know, the minutes 
kept going on and uh, it was unclear what was happening. They weren't, you know, again, you know, as we're watching this live, they weren't really saying what was happening. You could just see from the reactions of the people on the field that something very, very, very serious was happening. Um, and then at one point, um, of course, an ambulance comes out on the field. Uh, but at one point, a five-minute warm-up period starts being discussed. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Troy Aikman or Joe Buck, but one of those two guys in the booth mentioned something about we're getting word from the league about a five-minute warm-up period. You even saw uh, a couple players start to throw a ball back and forth. And, I mean, these guys looked like they were just totally... Some of them looked like they were in shock. Some of them looked like uh, they were just emotionally distraught. So you had a couple who looked like they were trying to go through the motions of getting ready. Uh, but it was pretty quick after you heard that announcement in this like shift towards warming up that both coaches walked out onto the field, talked to the referees, and then everybody went inside. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Um, and you pointed me to an article by Dave Zirin, or, or Zirin, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name there, but I've been reading his stuff for a very long time. If you're interested at all in sports and you're the type of person who likes our show, then you should probably read Dave. Um, He is the sports writer for the nation, uh, and he does have a very good article out. The NFL just showed the world what it thinks of its players. And uh, something he wrote that I wanted to just pull out is that, and, and just reiterate your point earlier. It's important to note that the league only called the game after player reps mm-hmm. from both teams contacted the union, the NFLPA, which informed the league that the game was done. This was a workplace action. Participants exercised their collective power and demanded their that their trauma, their grief, their very humanity be recognized. So I, I really like that he included that. Now, uh, he doesn't mince words. He believes that Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, should be fired immediately for this. Um, and he brings up pretty uh, damning evidence in terms of his record. Uh, of course, he's been the commi- commissioner as we've had violence against women involving players. We've uh, seen Colin Kaepernick get blackballed from the NFL. We've seen just more and more and more research coming out about the brain injuries that these guys are getting from playing this game uh, and the settlements that are starting to happen uh, and lawsuits that are starting to happen. It's, you know, so one thing that uh, Dave wrote in his article is that Roger Goodell is a, quote, world-class flat catcher, a human meat shield taking arrows from the press while the owners reside in shadows counting their fortunes. And, and that line stood out as well, uh, because that's always been the thing with the NFL commissioner. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the owners do not like the limelight. Uh, you have your Jerry Jones of the world, you know, who owns the Cowboys and does want to be on TV every day. But most of them don't, right? They prefer to be behind the scenes making a profit off of these guys putting their body on the line. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention in, in reference to this is that I've heard folks, folks have talked to me before, like, Adam, you're always complaining about millionaires and billionaires, and yet you're supporting, you know, these professional athletes. What gives? Mm. 
And I think it's important to to make that distinction that these people are workers. Mm-hmm. They are highly compensated workers. They're they're compensated so much so that some of them do become capitalists on their own, right? Tom Brady, LeBron James, these type of guys. They, you know, the elites of the elites are making such you know record amounts of money and uh, right. have a brand that they can convert into capital, but. That doesn't change the fact that when they go out there and they play this football game, mm-hmm. when they practice, when they take care of their bodies and go to the ben- go to the gym every day in, in the workout room, they are performing labor. Right. It is a highly specialized form of labor, and therefore they get a pretty high amount of compensation for it. The flip side to it is because it is such a highly specialized form of labor, it is incredibly profitable. These guys go out there, risk their lives, beat up the, each other, leave with injuries often impacting the rest of their lives. Typically, they're taking years. They're shaving years off their life mm-hmm. to play this game and to make this money. And meanwhile, you have owners of the franchises making billions. You have the NFL itself as an entity and its you know leadership like Roger Goodell making tons of money. So I'm not mad about NFL players or NBA players or Major League Baseball players. I'm not mad that they're making millions necessarily. I don't know that um, what they're doing is it's so much more valuable than the labor that most working class people are doing. But the truth is, this industry is highly profitable. And frankly, entertainment is one of the last things america has left um (laughs) america doesn't really make much anymore Mm -hmm. so entertainment is like one of our biggest exports and one of our biggest industries and and that includes sports and so it's it's just to me as a working class person i support the athletes because i recognize that what they're doing is a form of labor they are working they are selling their time and their body in exchange for a salary if they're lucky, it's quite a generous salary, and they'll be okay for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. But that's not all of them. By any means, the average player is not leaving wealthy. Uh, they're lasting a couple of years. They get used up and spit out. Yeah. And, and they just have to hope they have enough uh, that they made from that little experience to move on to the next stage of their life and hope that they, they have the health and the presence of mind left to be able to live a good life after football. Right. Uh, you know, football is, is unique because of the brutality of it, uh, because of the plantation-style optics of it, frankly. I mean, here's, here's you know, what, 32, almost all of them white billionaire men owning these franchises, sending out a, a, a team that is 70% black to go put their bodies on the line in this brutal physical sport. Right. So it's, I will always stand with the players against the owners and against the leagues. Uh, I commend the players for being unionized and being organized. I commend the players for taking a step Monday night and refusing to play because there should not have been any playing after that. Mm -hmm. You could tell these folks just experienced trauma. They almost... 
I mean, they watched as one of their friends and co-workers nearly died in front of them and millions of people. To expect them to be able to just flip a switch and, and in five minutes go back out there right, and go back to work. And oh, by the way, going back to work means someone else might get hurt too. Mm-hmm. You right. might get hurt too. Right. This, you know, your brother may not make it home to his family, but hey, we got a game to finish. It's yeah. It, it was. Uh, I I know there's been a lot of back and forth in the days since then. I have not followed super closely about just who said what. I think the NFL is disputing that they ever declared there would be a five minute warm up period. Uh, mm. It's my understanding. Roger Goodell is claiming he didn't say that. Mm. ESPN is saying, well, we didn't make this up. Right. Somebody told our people. Right. That's what was happening. Someone told that to the players, right? Because, you know, Joe Burrow didn't grab a football and decide to start warming up mm-hmm. unless someone said something to him. I don't think. So, Right. I don't know. We'll see what all the facts are when they come out. But at the end of the day, it was just a, a shocking thing to see. And um, it's a good reminder of how dangerous that sport is. But it's also a good reminder of how dangerous work can be for so many people. Just this week, there was a report of a construction worker here in Huntsville mm-hmm. who fell to his death. Yeah. And, you know, no one on ESPN is going to talk about him. We're, frankly, we're, I, I'm, I'm grateful that someone in the local media was even willing to, to do that story. Because how many folks die on the job, get hurt on the job, lose limbs on the job without any fanfare, right. without any coverage, uh, without any consequences for those responsible. Right. So I just, I wish all the best to uh, DeMar Hamlin's family and, and himself and, and to the players. Uh, and I hope that folks did learn from this, this example that the, at the end of the day, the employer's, put profit above people that includes you no matter how valuable you think you are no matter how good of a worker you are no matter how uh good of a relationship you think you have with management at the end of the day profits come before people uh and the only way to overcome that is through the collective power of organizing with your fellow workers the nfl players demonstrated that on monday night uh just as the ownership demonstrated their callousness yep all right folks so that is i think that's going to be it for us today right Adam? uh yeah i think that's it um not sure if we had anything uh extra to plug uh i did <clears> want to <throat> remind folks we mentioned it at right at the end of the fm show but uh citizen coalition for justice reform is having that meeting coming up third week of january and um, also wanted to mention um, you have some reporting coming out soon with the Real News Network. Is that right? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll come out this week. But, okay, yeah, we'll cool. See. So keep us posted um, on that. Uh, y'all stay tuned. Real News Network. Uh, Labor Notes, some- you, you, uh, you say here, Labor Notes is going to be in Chattanooga with an in-person Secrets of a Successful Organizer training on January 28th from 10 to 5. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Sorry to just now uh, stumble upon that, but yes, li- uh, Labor Notes will be in Chattanooga <clears throat> later this month, so 
for those of you who maybe missed the Alabama Troublemaker School or, you know, Chattanooga's a little closer to your neck of the woods, y'all check that out. And Labor Notes also has a great lineup of online workshops coming up uh, over the next month or so. Um, online, they're going to have Secrets of, Secrets of a Successful Organizer uh, workshop series throughout January. That's going to be on Thursday evenings, 6.30 to 8.30, January 12th, 19th, and 26th. So if you've never been to a Labor Notes training, if you're at all interested in learning more about any kind of organizing, especially union labor, workplace organizing, but any kind, really, I highly recommend that series. Um, and this is uh, on February 7th. There's one coming up that I, I think is going to be really good called What to Do When Your Union Breaks Your Heart. Mm. And that's at 6.30 p.m. Central. Um, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one um, right now <clears throat> who has experienced that when your union breaks your heart. Uh, many of you listening probably have had those similar occasions. So what do you do about that? Uh, Labor Notes is hosting a conversation February 7th online. Uh, so highly recommend you check that out. Yep. All right. Uh, with that, folks, we are going to head out. We're going to see you again next week. All power to the workers. Bye, y'all.